This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Today's guest is the creator of the hit BBC drama, Peaky Blinders. The impetus to do with Peaky was stories that my mum and dad told me when I was a kid. What I don't want to do is make, isn't it a shame for these poor working class people? You know, didn't they have a terrible time, wasn't it awful? So that, you know, the drinking and fighting and all that stuff, it's glamorous stuff. This is... And this is in Brook, you know, this is absolutely part of Birmingham history that never gets told that that is a drama. It's like a Western. I've been a blues fan since I was born. My parents were blues fans. All grandparents were blues fans. It strikes me that we got lucky. These new owners mean it. Doing the right thing about the city, about Birmingham. It's like an engine that starts to work within the club and the community where everybody starts bouncing off each other. And if you can get that right, that's the thing that's going to lift us up to where we all know we should be. has been sacked by Birmingham City. I think it was a brave decision to act quickly. I just didn't think that it was a fit. Whereas Mowbray, you know, he's funny and is aware of the absurdity of life, which is what blues fans are as well. He understands football fans who are not fans of a club like Liverpool or Man City. Fans of a club like us are there for reasons that defy logic. Hello and welcome back to the Blues Focus podcast with today's very special guest. As usual, I'm happy to be joined by Jamie Lawler. You're right. Zach Woods. Hello, everybody. And Sam Sheppey. Hi, guys. Uh, no camera, but still hearing voice. <laughs> <laughs> today's guest is the creator of the hit BBC drama Peaky Blinders, set in the hard-working city of Birmingham from 1919 to 1933. The show is easily one of the most stylish and iconic of TV programmes, starring multiple Hollywood celebrities in Killian Murphy, Tom Hardy and Adrian Brody, to mention a few. In 2020, he was awarded a CBE for his services to drama and entertainment and the wider work in the Birmingham community. A CBE, a screenwriter, film producer and director, 
But most importantly, he's a big Blues fan. Please welcome Stephen Knight. Hello, good to be here. It's very good to have you on. It's absolutely delighted to have you on. Um, but yeah, this podcast has been a, a few months in the making. Uh, we first met back in August uh, before the first home game of the season against Leeds in the uh, in the Roost in the pub. Obviously, what an amazing day that turned out to be. It was, uh, I mean, it was just buzzing before the game even got kicked yeah. off with Tom Brady, the fireworks, all the tributes to Trevor Francis as well, which was very touching. Uh, but since then, it obviously has been a bit of a bumpy ride. But taking you back to that day, I mean, what's your best memories of that day, really? It was just amazing. I mean, you know, I think like a lot of Blues fans, things started to happen on that day that we never thought would ever happen. Like Tom Brady's not going to walk into the roost. You know, not ever. That's just not going to happen. And it did. Um, and But, I mean, there was an occasion before that in Baines's where I think it was the last game of the previous season where um, Tom Wagner and his people arrived. Um and uh, Tom Wagner came up to the bar and he was heaving because it was the last game. Um, and he put his car behind the bar and said, buy everybody a drink. And the barmaid thought he meant everybody who just walked in with him. Mm. Said, no, 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 he means everybody in the pub. She said, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> just like, it was so, so brilliant. And then on that day in the roost when um, they all show up and in advance of that, I thought I'd better get a drink in for them. And foolishly bought, I mean, there, there wasn't a great deal of choice. So I've got them all, um, I think I've got about 20 Budweiser's. And when they got there, they go, they're like, what's this? We want Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. They all want Guinness. So I think this is part of Tom's, um, you know, health and nutrition. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all so exciting at the moment. I mean, just small stories like that show the difference between previous owners we've had and oh. these guys that have come in. I mean, what are your thoughts, just everything going on off the pitch? Because, I mean, even small details, we've had the stands now renovated, but even like yeah. fresh licks of paint, renovated yeah. changing rooms. I mean, how how fantastic a job are the new owners doing? It's brilliant. And, uh, you know, I, I was sort of privy to, to conversations in advance of the whole thing happening. And I thought... This can't. This this isn't going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. It's blues, you know. It's never going to work. And the Chinese owners were. I mean, some of the stories which I, which I sadly can't share about the, the the sort of labyrinthine negotiations that went on with the previous owners and the madness and and the hilarious things that were happening. Um, which you know, I think the the Americans just dealt with because they they used to this sort of stuff. You know, they. They do deal in distressed assets, and God knows we were a distressed asset. Mm. Uh, and they dealt with it. They had patience, and they had fortitude, and got it done. And then when it actually happened, you just thought, you know, I've been a Blues fan since I was born because if my parents were Blues fans. All grandparents were Blues fans, um, and probably their parents were Blues fans. So there was nothing I could do about it. Um, <laughs> And my kids are all Blues fans as well now. But um, the idea that the thing that we've always thought can't happen might happen mm. is so bewildering at first. You just think, oh, my God, this is going to happen. And then, of course, we do the Blues thing. Exactly, you know, yeah. And just <laughs> all up it's like, oh, no, this is going too well. Now, I think we've got somebody who, it seems to me there's, there's an unusual, I mean, I read Small Heath Alliance a lot, and I've never known a consensus. Yeah like that because everybody you know everybody want 
everybody's got their own opinion and stuff and, and by the way small little alliance is brilliant and i think it's yeah. hilarious. And on occasions it's just inspired humor and stuff but um to see the consensus around tony mowbray is really great so I suppose, Stephen, my next question is, obviously, you're in and around the club a little bit, like you said. So have you met any of the players? And with that, do you have a favourite? Uh, I don't get to meet the players much. Um, they're all so young. You know, they're, they're younger than my kids. And it's quite strange. That, and I've, I've always found, I've found this for years, because I usually go to the Jasper Carrot suite and you get the man of the match. And like when we've lost 4-0, <laughs> the poor man of the match gets dragged in. You think, oh, poor son. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like when the horse... Jeff Horsfield used to come in and he was like a skinny kid. Whereas on mm. the pitch, he looks like this great big lumbering bloke. It's it's very different. So the players, in fact, I did meet him when I'm, I invited a lot of the players to the Peaky Ballet thing in Birmingham. And, you know, they're great. They're a real laugh. And I don't know what the current thoughts are on Craig Gardner, but he's a brilliant bloke. Mm. And, and, and the people that I meet behind the scenes are fantastic. And previously, I've always given them a Peaky hat. But I stopped doing that because it kept going wrong. So I've been talking to a lot of people around, you know, behind the scenes. And it strikes me that we got lucky in that these new owners mean it. Yeah. In terms of doing the right thing about the city, about Birmingham, about the community, Small Heath, Borsley and all of that. Not least because I think they understand that doing the right thing is actually profitable. Mm, you know, 100%. It's not like, let's be nice. Well, it is being nice, but being nice also creates that mood and that atmosphere. And it's like an engine that starts to work within within the club and the community where everybody starts bouncing off each other. And and if you can get that right, that's the thing that's going to lift us up to mm -hmm. where we all know we should be as the, mm -hmm. the club that carries the name of the second biggest city in Britain. That's yeah. where we should, be. we should be up there. So what we need is money first um owners who understand and then i think it's our job us as blues fans to get on board and bring as many people as we can with us to the game fill that stadium uh and then i'm doing what i can we're all doing what we can to sort of connect the club to the to the area and to that bit of birmingham and then the bigger bit of birmingham and just make sure that people identify with the football team as representatives of something more than just a football team, I think. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, because I mean, I I went to the um, the open house. That was what they called it. Oh, yeah. and, and just the little projects that they had lined up for the club, it showed that they meant yeah. it, you know. And obviously, yeah. Rooney's been and gone now, and he's obviously had his time with us. And now Mowbray's the new manager. Still, the the ideas that they've got for the club, you know, the yeah. and the renovations they've given us already, you know, it yeah. just shows that the it's like you say, like pride and passion, it's it's profitable, you know, and staying loyal to yeah. customers, you know. And I don't think we've had that as a football club before, and it's kind mm. of a weird feeling for us to have. I know. We're customers now, not victims, which we've been like. <laughs> and I do think that you know, there's something good about the American model. I know we can all have our views about that, but the, the American model of let's treat people as customers and let's give them a, a good experience. You know, it can be as cynical as you want, but that's what we all want. The main thing about the experience is you've got to win. Mm. You know, and. I, that was the first thing I was saying to everybody that I met is that all of this is absolutely fantastic, but mm. you can have the worst match day experience. If you win three nil, you're happy. Mm. Got to get it right on the pitch. And that's what, I mean, you know, they do get it because 
they're sports people as well. And mm. you know, to Tom Brady, he completely understands. There's nothing worse than when we lose, as we mm. all know. You know, mm. Saturday night when we've lost is horrible. There's um, been too many of those in recent years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the recent couple of weeks. But maybe I think that maybe the recent couple of weeks is like to our new owners. This is what it's like. Yeah, um, don't let it keep on happening because it will yeah. keep on slipping. Yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. And, and the sort of points you make there, if you if you go to a, a match day game now compared to you know a few years back, mm. you're right in that there's so much that's improved. The food's better, even though it's the programs are looking great these days. As yeah. we've said, like the fireworks before the game, it, yeah. it's a rarity as Blues fans because everything off the pitch and surrounding the actual football itself has improved tenfold yeah. and and bear in mind they haven't been here years yet they've been here no, exactly. a couple of months so just to see that intent and and you only need to listen to gary cook or, or tom wagner yeah. speak for 10 minutes to know that yeah. they know exactly what they're doing and exactly yeah. what they're talking about and as blues fans that's just so lovely to see because it's something in recent history we've been yeah. deprived of really and it, it's one that i mean i think the way i look at it is that um there's no blues fans who were there because they're glory hunters God, you know, there, isn't, there isn't a single one that can't 99.9% no. of the fans are there because they're, one of their parents was a Blues fan and that parent was a Blues fan because their grandparents almost certainly were Blues fans so what you've got in, I think in, in the, the, the Blues support is I bet that my grandparents and great grandparents lived within a stone's throw of the parents and grandparents mm. and grandparents and most of the people who went who were there because they would have come from that particular area which wasn't big really it was crowded but it wasn't vast so you got you know your small ethy boards and, and and all of that south birmingham stuff the birmingham city support it's it's almost tribal it's almost like these are people who have been stuck with this allegiance for a hundred years you know yeah. and we're the next generation and the thing that i'm really passionate about it because as, as i say i've made not made them but all my kids sport blues and i just don't want that to be a burden for them I was living in london and my oldest son was at school in london and he was seven and he came home and he was crying and i said what's the matter he said um i was at school today and somebody said who do you support and i said birmingham city and he said there's no such thing Mm -hmm. Oh There's wow! <laughs> <laughs> that was a horrible thing. But the thing that was like the taster of what could possibly be like you know 2011 the League Cup final. Oh yeah, it's and the thing happened that never happens. Like we go one up, they equalise. So obviously we're gonna get towards extra time. Yeah, of course they're gonna beat us in extra time, and then that happened. Mm. Did you and go? Oh God, yeah, I went with about twenty members of my family. Wow, wow, <laughs> big family in every sense, like kids, and I'm one of the youngest of seven kids as well. And we're all blues fans, so and their kids are all blues fans, and we all used to go when I was little. But you know, we're at that match, and the first thing I said to um, Joe and Ed was like, "This, this doesn't happen. This never mm -hmm. happened." And even then, after that, you're expecting them to equalise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, it's like, <laughs> that was by far one of the greatest days I think I'll witness in a long time as a Blues fan. Oh, I think the my best day, isn't it? Oh, it's, day. it was. <laughs> well, I'm hoping your generation, you've got lots of them to come. Um, I hope. Fingers crossed, yeah. <laughs> 
can't be any worse than the last few years, can <laughs> it? No, I was going to say. Well, this is this is the thing as well. Since we've come down from the Premier League, we just haven't really had any recent success at all. Not even like a like a, a an outside the playoff finish. We've just been deprived of any success, which I guess is a good point to segue on to Tony Mowbray and a little bit about Rooney as well. We'll start with Rooney, given that, you know, all that's just happened. Yeah. I mean, it, it obviously sadly didn't work. Some saying 15 games wasn't enough, deserved a bit more time. I mean, what are your thoughts on the whole Rooney situation? I think um, it was a brave decision to to act quickly. I, I just didn't think that it was a fit. Mm. Didn't yeah. feel like, I mean, I was all guns blazing to say we've got to support because we have, you know, once you've appointed the manager, you've got to get behind the manager. There's no point just immediately moaning about it. But Blues are funny. To, every supporter thinks their club is, is unique. And of course, every club is unique. But we've got our own sort of way of doing things. Um, and that didn't feel that it was going to work. Just like the Zola thing, you know. It, yeah. It, feel as if this was a, a natural ingrained thing that we would do and whereas Mowbray you know he's funny and is aware of the absurdity of life and all of that which is what blues fans are as well I think mm. and he's not going to get too big for his boots he understands football um, I think he understands not just blues fans but football fans in general who are not fans of a club like Liverpool or Man City or whatever fans of a club like us are there for reasons that defy logic. Yeah. Mm. You know, there's no... I think you're right to highlight the character of Mowbray there as well, because, yeah. you know, someone that can really sort of, you know, have that funny side to him. We've seen like, in press conferences and that he has a bit of, you know, that character to him. And he's yeah. also someone that's got a lot of experience in the game as well. So in terms of sort of, you know, like getting the team sort of back on the same page together, yeah. what would you say is the main thing you've got to focus on to try and get that confidence back? I think confidence is such an important word in football. I, I, you know, I, I was never any good at football. Um, I'm not an expert in football tactics or anything like that. I just want to win desperately, desperately, probably more than is acceptable for somebody of my age. I can't <laughs> lose. I can't stand it. You know, on the days, it's it's one of those things. And I would hope we're watching players who feel the same. They can't stand to lose. You know, that, you're mm. when you look at Ferguson and, and going back to like Matt Busby and Bill Shankly and people like that. They took over clubs that were middling. People forget that, like Liverpool, Man U. Were, they were okay, you know, they were nothing special. And then these characters came along who would not accept defeat. They wouldn't. Hmm. So suddenly those two clubs became what they became. And I think, you know, you can be grown up about it. You can try to be grown up about it. Um, but I just... I like the idea that what we should be is not accepting of defeat. Yeah, it's been a long-standing sort of tradition with the Blues, really. It's like the phrase typical Blues sort of stems from it, doesn't it? Where yeah. it's like, we've, we've lost the game, we probably should have won it. It's our typical Blues to throw it away. But it's like the the mentality I think Gary Cook and the board are trying to install yeah. now. It's like, well, no, we should, we should want to win those games. We should be bitterly yeah. disappointed when we've lost Absolutely. those games. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm all for having a part after and in the end it wears off. But in that 90 minute or 100 minutes these days, there's got to be an absolute refusal to mm. accept mm. anything other than victory. Because then once that, I think once it starts happening, then it becomes a habit, you know, and, and mm. losing. once we start doing okay and things start to click. I've, I mean, I've been there when we've been good and when we got promoted. And the, the other problem with that is you get used to that as well. 
remember on the odd occasions when we've been really good, you sort of get used to it. And we're in the Prem and we're playing Man U and playing Arsenal. No, we lost to Arsenal. This is terrible. Mm. But you forget to put it in context. But I want us to get into that situation again where you take your kids to the match and they're watching quality yeah. against the exactly. big opposition. Because why not? We we are a big club. We're half of Birmingham. We really are, yeah. That's a big chunk of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think even the managerial decisions that have been made in the past, you know, to get rid of Eustace for Rooney and to get rid of Rowett for Zola, each time that decision's made, because prior to those decisions being made, we were picking up results. But yeah, these yeah. managers have been sat because maybe the football isn't too pretty or, mm-hmm. you know, we want to play more attacking or no fear footballers as they worded it. So mm-hmm. whilst we were picking up results, the reason for these decisions is we want to be that modern, attacking, mm-hmm. fast-paced football club that, mm-hmm. yes, are picking up the results, but are also doing it in a way which is entertaining to fans, mm-hmm. which yeah, I think in some aspects, you know, is... is been detrimental i think this is where it's been good that the owners have almost gone back on their yeah. initial because it'd be so easy to go out and get a, a frank lampard and, and try and do the same thing yeah. you know a big name and try and play that football but yeah. i think again where it shows how good our owners are is they've learned from their mistakes they're now getting in a manager who's yeah. got that experience in a championship knows it like the back yeah. of his hand has experienced success and might not be the biggest name in the world but he's a man yeah. that will hopefully start to get us results Exactly, and uh, uh, you know, the, the importance of winning—it's obviously, I mean, everybody knows it's self-evident. But for me, the entertainment is winning. Hmm. Um, and if if it's the case, which it actually probably is, if it's the case that playing fast-flowing, entertaining football makes you more likely to win, happy days, hmm. you know. And, and that seems to be the case in the Prem. But we've got to make sure that we know what we're doing in order to just get that result at the end of it. Yeah, because what would you say that um, a success would be sort of at the end of the season with Tony Mowbray coming in now with us in 20th place? What would you say would be the success for this season? Win the FA Cup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I don't know. Um, probably, and again, it, it, it pains me to say let's accept this, but realistically, it's probably mid-table is fine. You know, um, if we can start to threaten the playoffs then fantastic there's no reason why not there's plenty of time left i think mm. a cup run would be nice mm. um I, I, yeah when is the next round I can't next remember. round should be in february i believe now we beat Hull, obviously. yeah exactly, the replay yeah. first and then the easy yeah. task of leicester away next up yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah um but yeah a, a, a cup run would be good i think a cup run would be an interesting thing this season because if if one accepts, which I don't necessarily, but if one accepts, we're not going to get into the playoffs. Then it would be mm. something. To look at. Do you know what I mean? It would be something mm. for us to test ourselves against some bigger clubs and maybe have some fun. There are quite a few Blues references in Peaky Blinders, uh, and uh, obviously there is one in the very first episode. Uh, Grace is obviously speaking to Harry behind the bar at the garrison, and so he's always just busy in the in the daytime. He says, "Now these these lads are off to St Andrews. You know the Blues are playing." Last no, she says, he says St Andrews, and she says, "Is that a church?" <laughs> he says, "Is that a church?" He says, "No, the Blues are playing. You know they're not going to pray or anything." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and of course, in the last season as well, when they they're trying to threaten the ref to uh, throw yeah. the game and give a penalty. Uh, which he still doesn't. Uh, you've worked some realism well into there, actually. I think that's uh, yeah, yeah. decent on your part. But... <laughs> I mean, but like, how much influence does Blues have on you writing for Peaky Blinders? Because I imagine the sort of working class feel doesn't definitely plays into it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely all part of the same thing. I mean, I've 
said it's many times, but the the uh, impetus for doing it, for, for doing Peaky, was stories that my mum and dad told me when I was a kid about their lives when they were kids. And mm. when my mum was nine years old, she was a bookies runner because mm. it was illegal. Betting was illegal. So she lived in Little Green Lanes and she used to walk down Little Green Lanes with um, a basket of washing and people would walk in the other direction and they'd have the name of the horse they were betting on, their code name and the bet, like sixpence, and they'd drop it in the wash. And my mum would walk down the street taking all these bets. At the end of the street, there was a bookie called Tucker Rice. He was apparently a massive fat bloke and he had a, a dog on a chain that was just short enough so you could get. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Past him. Wow. And she walked past him with a basket of washing. And, <laughs> and her dad was a gambler. and Well, everybody was a gambler then. Mm. Um, and my dad's uncle's were the Sheldons. For some reason, the BBC wouldn't let me call them Sheldons. They said, you've mm. got to change the name, as if these gangsters from the 1920s was going to get offended and sue us. <laughs> Defamation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How dare you? They were, as I say, my dad's uncles. And no matter what you may read that people say about, oh, there were no Peaky Blinders after 1900 and stuff, in Small Heath and Bordesley, they were known as the Peaky Blinders. Mm. And my dad told a story where his dad... Um, all blues fans, by the way. My granddad uh, was at the Somme and was shot with a dum-dum bullet, which is illegal now, but it's a bullet that explodes inside. So there oh, were, yeah. he had bits of shrapnel in his body until 1968. He used to cut our hair when we were kids, so I remember him, and he was always in pain. But anyway, that's another story. But he was a First World War veteran, and he one time said to my dad, take this message to your uncles, the Sheldon. My dad was terrified, so he's barefoot, my dad. Running down, he, he, they were in Sandy Lane off Watery Lane, and he goes to where they live and knocks on the door, and he said, the door opened. There's this waft of cigarette smoke, whiskey and beer, and he looks in, and there's a round table covered in coins, because they've taken all the bits. And he said, there's about seven blokes sitting around it, immaculately dressed, with like the caps and, the top, and everything, the boots are shining. And they're drinking whiskey out of jam jars because they wouldn't spend any of that money on something like glasses. Do you know what I mean? Not cups. Amazing that is. And, if, and and that that story 
was the thing that made me want to do it because mm. all obviously the blokes were all veterans from the first world war so they were all pretty screwed up from experiences that they had but wouldn't let on yeah would never show that emotion would never talk about it my granddad never talked about it and you got these men and in an age where it's about it's sort of unfashionable that sort of thing that we're talking about but you know here are these men who are like statues drinking mm. running a gambling organization i just thought this is and this is in Brum, you know this is own this is absolutely part of birmingham history that never gets told and so i just thought that that is a drama it's like a western you know it is very much like a western yeah. actually I've well, that. And what i wanted to do is like when my parents witnessed all of this they're little kids you know and the garrison door opens and the garrison is like this theater this cathedral for them so it's a it's a myth for them and then they tell me and i'm a kid when they tell me so it's doubly mythologized and when mm. i went through it i thought what i don't want to do is isn't it a shame for these poor working class people you know didn't they have a terrible time wasn't it awful so that you know the people were having a laugh and and that was most of the stories about the, the laughter and the and you know drinking and fighting and all that stuff it's glamorous stuff so i wanted to make it the mythology mm. of of birmingham and why not and you have to get over that well i can't make this glamorous because it's birmingham well you can yeah no reason why not it's the same as chicago or philadelphia or anywhere else you know i think because I, when i was doing my research for you into this podcast i, I remember you 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 said that uh, story to talk radio i think it was before yeah. the release of the fourth series back in the yeah. uh back in 2017 I just remember thinking though that that is just Peaky Blinders, like to a yeah. T. Like you can see all yeah. the imagery in that room. As in the first, in the very first series, when they're still living in the, uh, near the Garrison Line pub, yeah. you, you, that that front room is so small because you know it's sort of what they can that they had yeah. at the time. But like, I mean, the music that you use in it as well, like you use a lot of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Obviously, that's like you know the theme tune is obviously Red Right Hand and everything. But like, I mean, it, it's weird to use modern music well modern music in a way but like it's it, it makes the it makes the scenery better it makes the yeah it makes the show feel more uh, attractive to a, a more of a modern yeah. audience well with the, with the first series it was when it was being cut together we got quite a good group of editors working on in post-production people and they used to put modern tracks to it when they were editing to get mm. the rhythm and it just worked so well and so we just thought well let's do that then. and and mm. What's been great about it is that after probably series two, a lot of music artists liked the show and they were offering us their music for less than BBC Red, you know. And, and so we were spoiled for choice because we got a, a really good, dedicated group of really cool music artists who they were just really good. And so we were able to use the music. And the more it happened, the more it happened. And then Snoop Dogg said, uh, this is, I think, series four, after series four, Snoop Dogg came to uh, England and his agent said that he wanted to meet me because he was a big Peaky fan. So we met in this in St. Martin's Lane Hotel. He couldn't go to the bar, so go to his room. And he's building this thing that he's going to smoke. It's like this big. And I'm drinking beer. And he's just talking about his life and how... And this is the weird thing. He saw in Peaky Blinders echoes of how he got involved in gang culture and you think well, how can that be so this is south central la and this is Birmingham in the 20s but there's something and um, you know some shows are lucky and i think peaky is lucky is that there's something about it that seems to resonate with a lot of people and music artists seem to be prominent amongst them 
it seems like a lot of Peaky Blinders is not only for yourself, but other people as well, based off sort of real life experiences or can somewhat relate to it. And that seems crazy given the amount of like violence and gang culture we see in, in the show. It, 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 so is a lot of what was written, it, obviously not all of it, but are parts of it based off real life experiences then? Is a lot of it research? What's the show sort of centered around, I guess? It's the characters are based on real people, like Charlie Strong. When I was, my dad was a farrier, a blacksmith, so he used to shoe horses, and he had a mobile forge. And um, when I was a kid, we'd wake up in the morning. My dad would say, "Do you want to go to school? Or do you want to come with me?" And so some of us would get in the van and we'd go out to these places where he's shoeing horses. And there was a lot of quite, you know, respectable riding stables and stuff. But he also used to go to a lot of scrap metal yards uh, with a lot of Romani people and. Um, Charlie Strong was one of them. He was in Neutrals, um, and he, he, there was a bloke called Curly who worked with him, who was my, I found out later, was my great uncle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and I, they were just the most amazing people. So you imagine you're a kid, and you're not going to school, and you're driving into the big metal doors open, and you're driving to the scrap metal yard in Neutrals, and there's a fire going, and somebody's cooking bait and an egg on it, and there's all these interesting characters and stuff. And you go in there, and the horses are there, and your dad starts shit. I used to turn the handle on the forge to to get the coal hot and they were just such a laugh like i used this line in in the series where i said to my dad once i said is is this stuff stolen and my dad said no 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 he said charlie finds things just before they're lost <laughs> <laughs> that is a brilliant line <laughs> and, but they were all like that they were hilarious and you know really this would be the late 60s early 70s so i think i glimpsed the end of a sort of victorian birmingham Mm. Um, where there were still horses and carts and things. Um, and that's how I shaped the series. So I put Charlie Strong in it, I put Curly in it. Polly was my dad's auntie. Um, and so I grew up with stories about Aunt Polly, who was like really good with her fists and all. So it's not so much events because I'd run, you'd run out of events quite quickly, but it's more the characters and who they are and how they were. And something about the way men were as well, especially. Mm. Uh, following on from like Zach's question about sort of you know like research and everything you say, you say there about sort of you know having those ideas to start off with and then kind of branching off how much of you know do you have to balance between fiction and also what happens in real life too I think I mean you've got to go for fiction you got I mean you've got to tell a story that's entertaining so um I, I will absolutely follow a drama story in it and, and have it good and bad and bad character becomes good or good character becomes bad and all that stuff that hopefully interesting any research i did i used to look at old copies of the birmingham mail and i recommend that to anybody rather than reading the history because it, it, history books i think what people what and it's their job so i wouldn't know but they i think they tend to take events and then look at them as if what eventually happened was inevitable so that happened that happened that happened so obviously therefore that would happen but i don't think history is like that. it's chaos you know we all know real life is chaotic and if you read that, like, the Birmingham Mail from the 1920s, things like, and my, I remember my dad telling me about this. He said, because he was quite uh, quite left-wing when he was young. Not when he was older, but when he was young. Um, and he said that he'd be in the ball ring and some bloke would put a box down and he'd stand on the box and he'd start talking about communism and revolution. Mm. And he said the police would come, take him to Steelhouse Lane, and he'd never be seen again. Wow. And it's like, wow. And then, you know, you think, well, maybe he's, misremembered but 
then I looked at uh, the Birmingham, and there's a case, some person arrested in the ballroom for sedition for what he was yeah. saying, and he was given like ten years. Gosh, I know, and and that's in that's not in the history book. And then you know you, you read about oh it was all fine we were in each other's houses and borrowing cups of sugar, and then the papers there's all these armed robberies and things and and, and the, the, actually the best bit of research and I can't remember where it came from but the, the, it was police records of a kid who I think was ten years old who was arrested and he was arrested because his mother reported him and what had happened was his mother had given this kid like sixpence or whatever to go and get food for the family and he came back with a top hat and a coconut. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my Generous, and it's not much help. His mom is like, what is <laughs> She's skinned, they're all skinned. So she's got this top hat and this coconut. And so she calls the police. Oh, it is amazing. Them this, and it's a, it's a police report. The boy, you know, bought a top hat and a coconut. Wow. <laughs> like that. I mean, that's where reality is so much more interesting than anything that anybody like me can make up, you know. Mm. Yeah, and, and I guess you forget a lot of these things. It wasn't that long ago. We're talking a hundred no. years ago, you know. It's it doesn't. It's not you know, sixteen fifty two. Only a hundred years ago. I mean, in, in terms of the, the show and everything, let's talk. I guess a little bit about the characters and 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 all that. Tommy Shelby. He's obviously the main character in the show, yeah. but one of the biggest characters in TV now. D did you expect him as a character and I guess the show as a whole to become quite as big as it's become? Absolutely not, no. And it, it's um, it is continues to be astonishing to me that you know I get people sending me photos from Buenos Aires and from China and from also, and they walk into a bar and there's Tommy Shelby and Arthur and Polly and all on the wall. I don't know why or how it's resonated mm -hmm. with so many people. America, I mean, in the US it's huge, and Netflix have just released some figures mm -hmm. about viewing figures, which are just. We knew it was good, but we didn't know exactly. It's just like there's a lot of people out there watching it. Um, and no, certainly didn't expect it to be like that. And, and you're right, Tommy Shelby has become this real sort of iconic. Yeah. I've heard a few stories regarding obviously Killian Murphy and how he got the voice for Tommy Shelby. Um, what's the actual, how did you come up with that kind of accent for him? How did he develop that accent? We uh, we took him to, we being me and my mates who go to the match and two of my brothers, we took him to the Garrison pub mm. and he bought a tape recorder. I think it was a cassette recorder. That's how long ago it was. He brings a cassette <laughs> And the Garrison was being the Garrison. The landlord was asleep on the bar. <laughs> like how on the bar? Like actually on the actually bar? Actually so? on the bar, yeah. Oh my God. It, Why I mean, not? <laughs> it was the last days of Rome. And it was the last days of the Garrison when it was really, really, really weird <laughs> and we went in there so we're all there it's probably we've got photos of it as well there's, there's probably about 10 of us all together and what he was doing is recording people talking mm. um to get the accent and so we're all there talking getting drunk and stuff and there was a it was a royal antwerp it was a pre-season friendly against i think it was royal antwerp so we were meant to all go to the match we didn't get to the match in him and we're all in the pub talking and then we start singing all this sort of stuff some of my mates have friends who, who, who you know do things that are not necessarily legal so occasionally they go turn the tape off turn the tape off let me tell you the story Gillian <laughs> um, took the tape home with him and just listened to it over and over again and what I think he got is and the, the, the first series we had all sorts of problems about the accent and, and understandably Brummies are saying that the accents are terrible it's just mm. really difficult to do mm -hmm. for an actor 
it's the, I think Brummy and Geordie are really tricky. And the problem was we had a voice coach. And what was happening was that the actors were doing their lines and the voice coach would go, no, 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 no. Don't oh, and it was just getting in the way of the whole thing. So in the end, I said, let's just get rid of the voice coach. Let's worry about the accent. Mm. It's not going to be perfect, but let's do the performance first. Mm. And, then, and you know, the, the defence that you put up is, I remember my grandparents' accent was very different to yeah. my accents even. It was very different. So who knows what they sound like and all of that. But, um, you know, some of those accents did grind away a bit. But Killian had got, I think, from meeting people, the speed of it. Mm. When yeah. people are in Brummie, they slow down. I don't know why. And if you go at it fast, which he did, just keep doing it, then I think, you know, that's how you get it. But it is a very difficult accent. What was Killian like to work with then? Because he's obviously a massive name now. So what, what was he like? He still is, was then, and hopefully always will be, just the best bloke. He really is. Mm. He's absolutely, and I'm not just saying that, he's, he leads the line in terms of the actors. You know what I mean? The filming is hard work. It's, it, it's, it's a lot of time and people get exhausted and things it's quite an intense thing to be on a set for like 12 weeks and you're all working together so mm. it's ups and downs but we've been really lucky with the people we've got because it's been successful we've lost actors who have been offered other stuff uh, and there's nothing we could do about it because what we didn't do is what the americans do which is tie everybody into a contract that keeps them there for 10 years so i've had to you know write the death of characters oh, yeah. Yeah. really want to write um, because they'd got another job. Well, John was the big one, I think, in the end of season three or start of season four. I think that was right at the start, wasn't it? Where, like, literally, <laughs> you're like, bang, straight into the series. It's a great way to start. It actually, sometimes it's a, it's a good thing because it makes you do something that you wouldn't want to do. So it's unexpected and everybody goes, oh, my God. Mm. Yeah, it was a complete yeah. twist. Like I remember watching it, just thinking, like, "Oh my word! Like, what's happening here?" <laughs> Chuck straight into it. <laughs> and in in terms of the way Peaky Blinders rounded up, we obviously saw the death of Michael, and then a lot of you got a lot of praise for the way it was all rounded up as a series. A really nice ending. Is there? Uh, I guess my first question to that is: Are you happy with how Peaky Blinders ended and how it was wrapped not up? And I not that was my follow up. Is there still more? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we're, we're doing the film. Um, so we're, we're shooting that this year, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that will, for me, that will be the end of this era of mm. Pinky. And then the door is open to do, you know, subsequent with different cast, and and it'd be a different era. So it'd be into the fifties. I see, yeah. Um, to carry the story on, you know, as long as people want it. Mm. Yeah, I'm that, sure that will. I see that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well. Uh... I think that is pretty much all we've got time for, actually. Uh, but yeah, Stephen, honestly, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been an absolute there. pleasure. Let's hope yeah. that we'll... this is for Tony Mowbray, glass of champagne. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've only got a glass of water, so I'll be <laughs> So yeah, thank you for listening to this episode of the Blues Focus podcast. We will be back very soon. Uh, thank you again, Stephen, and keep right on. Keep, keep on. right on. Keep right on. Put the blue
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share box ready to go. Your mates are already booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.